He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Father, we pray that you will fill us with all the knowledge of your will, that you grant us spiritual wisdom and understanding for the places where we don't even know what to do, for the issues that we don't even understand, for the issues that we don't even have answers for, for decisions that we don't even know which way to turn. We pray for a filling of the knowledge of your will. We pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we will be filled with all the knowledge of your will. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your seats. Hallelujah. I just want to speak to you shortly about when it gets hard. Hallelujah. When it gets hard. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Reading from verse 25. It's a popular story we all know about. When it gets hard. And a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all but had rather grown but rather had grown worse Hmm. the woman had endured a hemorrhage for 12 years she had had a hemorrhage and she had endured much at the hands of many physicians. It's not easy to endure much at the hands of many physicians. When you go here, this one gives a verdict, passes you to the next physician. When you go here, this one says, I can't really see. Go and see this other specialist. And then after that, they realize, okay, it's a hemorrhage. Then it's a gynecological problem. And it's not easy to visit a gynecologist, ladies. All sorts of poses and stances. All sorts of things that you wish you didn't have to do. But just because of that hemorrhage. But she had endured many things at the hands of many physicians. And had spent all that she had. And then the Bible says, and was nothing bettered. So when it gets hard, you know, there are different types of suffering. And sometimes you suffer in vain, like this woman. 
you go through many physicians, all in a bit to get help. And then you spend your whole fortune because health is important. And yet, in spite of all this, she was nothing bettered. So that type of suffering is not biblical suffering. Amen. God does not take you through something hard or cause you to endure something hard and then you will be nothing bettered. That's not God's way. Anything that God allows us to go through or anything that God allows to happen to us, we are supposed to come out as better people. We are supposed to come out at the right end of the stick. Amen. We are supposed to come out like pure gold. But the suffering of this world, there's a certain vain suffering. And that is not of God. Amen. So you endure everything. You go through hardships. Some of you, because of some silly decisions, you have endured foolish hardships that you shouldn't have endured. And that's different. So you are nothing better. In fact, you grow worse like the woman in this story. And then there's another type of suffering that you suffer because you are an evildoer or a busybody. First Peter chapter 4. Empty busy. First Peter chapter 4. <laughs> Daughter, when it's hard. First Peter chapter 4. We are still talking about the will of God. First Peter chapter 4. Verse 15. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Or if you like, busybody. Amen. Let none of you suffer as a murderer. When you are a murderer, maybe you are like in Ghana, you are an armed robber. And so when they get a hold of you, it's not easy. They lynch you, they take the law into their own hands, and they kill you. Not so long ago, just, not just before we came, but maybe a few weeks before we came, my assistant was telling me she was going home, and somebody had been lynched and killed on the road over a mobile phone because a guy had gone to steal a, a mobile phone, and therefore he had been murdered. The Bible is saying, let none of you suffer as a murderer. Some of you, you suffer because we do things we shouldn't do. So we suffer as a murderer, not as a child of God or as God has asked me to do this and it happened. No, it gets hard for you because you are a murderer. Or as a thief. Or as an evildoer. You see, one Sunday, there was a lady in the choir and... um, She had said that she was having some challenges in her marriage and that she felt that her husband was seeing somebody. And so she was supposed to have gone on trek and she she decided to come home early. When she came, lo and behold, her suspicions were true. And it was a Sunday. She was supposed to be out of town, but she came. And... Excuse me to say, being the typical girl woman she was, 
she beat the lady to pulp, to pulp. And how did we know? We were there after church in the afternoon when she came with her army camouflaged shorts. And she's quite a burly person. And she was panting. One of the pastors asked her, where are you from? And what's up? And she said, which means I've really given her a good beating hence my huffing and my puffing because I'm tired I believe that that young lady or whoever she was was suffering as an evildoer amen that's not the type of suffering that we are talking about so sometimes you suffer in vain Sometimes you suffer as an evildoer, but you can also suffer according to the will of God. First Peter chapter 4. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 3, verse And then chapter 4, verse 19. But chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Amen. It is better that you suffer for doing what is right, than for suffering for doing what is wrong. Amen. And then 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God. That's the one I'm talking about. And trust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Let those who suffer according to the will of God. Hmm. Now, the will of God doesn't always entail suffering. Amen. Because... In 3 John, the Bible says, I wish above all things, beloved, I wish above that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So that is also God's will for your life. Amen. God's will for your life is that he will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. All that is part of God's will. But usually, we don't have a problem with that one. But we have a problem when it gets hard. And 1 Peter 4, 17 is saying, let those who suffer according to the will of God. So sometimes it can be God's will for you to be between a rock and a hard place, for you to walk on a road you don't want to walk on. It can be God's will for your life. And I, I always think that the classic example, the example of Jesus, the son of God, he suffered, but he suffered for doing what was right. Not for doing what was wrong. Amen. And that is a kind of suffering that God would have a divine plan for. God would have a divine outcome for. And you can suffer according to the will of God. Amen. Now, what is suffering, lady pastor? The dictionary defines suffering as undergoing some pain or loss. 
or grief or damage or defeat or change. Amen? Undergoing pain, grief, damage, loss, defeat, change. I would say unpleasant change. All that until suffering. But for the Christian, also, suffering may be health-wise, suffering may be persecution, suffering may be false accusation, because Jesus was accused falsely. Suffering may be loss of reputation. You lose your reputation. They look at you. It's almost as if you are not educated sometimes. Because you chose to serve God, I don't think that it's too great a sacrifice, but you still feel it. See, my children said to me, when we used to say in school that you were a lawyer, we used to feel very cool. Now, that's when we say you are a pastor, we don't get the same vibes. (laughs) Things are different now. Amen. And sometimes you go into offices and maybe something to do with the ministry, and you introduce yourself. Oh, I'm Lady Pastor this. I'm here for this issue. Okay. Just sit here, and, and then sometimes people will be talking to you. Say, you see, when you go to the university, you will find out that this and that and that, and you just keep quiet and say, oh, okay. <laughs> you will find out that. You see, when we were in the university, these were our experiences. So when you attend the university, you will know that this and that and that, you know. So, um, you look on and you know that they think, oh, because you are a bishop's wife, you are likely to be not educated, undereducated, under whatever, and then you've just come because you are a pastor's wife and you are just coming to discuss something, you know. But it's all part of the suffering. Sometimes you don't have a good reputation because you have decided to preach the gospel. And... Um, Personally, I always say that everybody has an Isaac, but I may have two Isaacs. One of them was to come into full-time ministry. And I came into full-time ministry not because my husband is the bishop, but because I believe that God had called me. I knew that God had called me, but I was not sure about the timing. And I needed to know about the timing. And I thank God that I waited for the timing when I was sure within myself that it was time to go. Amen. And it wasn't the coming to serve God. It wasn't the coming to work in the church. But the fact that now the two of us will become salaried workers of a church was a bit worrying to me. I didn't know what also it meant for the future. I felt that if I stayed in the world, I would be like a sort of insurance policy for my family and I. That if anything went wrong, at least I would be on this side of the river. Amen. So then when God called me, I said, oh God, you know I want to do your will. You know how humble I am. You know I'll listen to everything you say. And when it was time, oh, you know I love you. And you know that when you call me, I'll come. But I resigned I missed a lot of things. My boss calling me and saying, I hope to God that you are not going to do what your husband is doing, that thing. I hope to God that that's not why you are resigning. 
And she said, hey, resign to follow a man. I didn't answer, but in my head I said to follow God. And she said to follow a man, Adley. Put away your career. Put away everything to follow a man. What if he changes? And my boss was quite old, you know, nearing retirement. She said, what if it, he changes? What if, it, if things change? Adelaide, I've lived a bit long. I've seen it happen. What if? You know, and I, I know that she meant well. So I just listened and I said, thank She said, you, you don't seem to have any career progression. They are sending you for a course. You say you won't go. All because of a man. Be careful. A man is not a cup that you should put all your eggs in like that. You don't do that. You don't do that. And even, okay, you, you say you are married to a pastor. Even if the man is okay, what if he dies? Your church, do they have an insurance policy? All these were realities at that time, staring me in the face. And then when I went to pray, I said, oh God, I want to serve you. It's not you. My problem is not with you. It's with the church members and what they will say. They will say that my shoes are for the offering. Everything I have, and it has never been, Lord. It has never been. So now how come? You know, so I resigned all right, but as soon as I resigned, somebody called me and said, ah, they are looking for a lawyer. A German man is looking for a lawyer to just see about one or two things for his company for him. It will only be once a week. He doesn't live in Ghana. He comes as and when. You don't need to do much. We'll pay you in dollars. I said, good idea. Now I can obey God and still not be paid by the church. So even though I had resigned, I went to see the church board. Reverend Saki, I said, oh, I need... I want to help the church. So I'm not going to be salaried by the church. I'll get my salary from somewhere else, but then I'll work in the church. And so it was. And it was good money. I was very excited. The work was not so difficult. And I had my own hours. So I thought, oh, this is very good. And then I went to pray, and God said to me, You are proud. Oh, me. I mean, any other sin, Lord, but not pride, you know? Pride is not my thing, oh God. Everybody has a, a, an actualless heel, but pride, no. God said, yeah, that's what you're saying. As for me, no salary from the church. I, if I, even the idea and the picture of my name being on the apparel, ah, oh, just did something to me. So I went on, and I felt that the Holy Ghost was convicting me, you know? Then my husband started to say, ah, so this is your office, where you go? Who are the employees? I said, well, just me and the German man. I don't like this job. I, I, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> so he's hardly there. You know, I just go and work. And, I, and so every time I had to go, then he would say, ah, so you have to go. I said, but it's only once a month. I go only once a month. The man pays me in dollars. What else will I want? And then also when I give up my salary, somebody else can be employed. So that, but God was speaking all the time. And then one day, I sat in the car to go for a meeting. And then I just blacked out behind my engine, my, my seat. 
According to onlookers, the car was going. But I don't remember anything. I was probably slammed over the car like that on the Spintex Road. A certain busy road in Ghana. Trucks coming. People said they were hooting. I didn't hear anything. Before I knew, the car was going into the bush. It had hit a car, and that's what made me come to. <laughs> and then I was wondering, you know, I saw all these Legon people in their ties coming out of their car. What happened? I so sat in the bushes a bit in the car, you know. And I was looking at them. How come they are here? What, what's happening? It's in the morning, all right, but why are all these people around the car? What's going on? Then knocked on the door, open, open, open. And I opened. There was a, a driver of a Benz bus. Madam, what happened? Did you not see? Was your foot not on the accelerator? You were just going. You moved out of your lane. We were coming. We parked. We honked. Did you not hear? No, I didn't hear. So where were you guys? I was going for a meeting up, up there. But I saw the people in the Benz bus had with blood. Really? What went wrong? And then just at that moment, my brother, Pastor Jude, had come to Ghana then. So he came by the car. He just happened to be passing by there. He said, come out, come out of the car. And I'm like, looking at him, like, he too, how did he get here? <laughs> so I came out of the car, went to the police station and all that. After that, I just opened the boot, took my briefcase, got a taxi, went, went to work, went to a board meeting. I think I was not thinking right. Went to a board meeting, didn't call home, didn't say anything. But some person went to call my husband. Your wife has had a very wild accident on the street. So my husband was calling me. I was in a board meeting. My phone was off. He didn't know how to reach me. He was in, trying to come in traffic wherever. And then I, so I just told my brother, just take care of the car, have it towed, whatever. I'm off to my meeting. So I went for the meeting, sat through, contributed, wrote everything, then came back. It is when I came back, I said, hey, where have I been? And when I saw the people with the cuts, when I saw the Benz bus, I went to the police station. I knew that I should have died. And when I went home, saw my children, my husband, they had an all night. They went, and around 1 a.m. on my bed, I believe the Holy Ghost visited me. And the Lord said, are you ready now? He said, about what? Are you ready now to give up that Isaac that I've been speaking to you about? I tell you, I broke down into torrents of tears alone in my room. And I wept so much. And I said, yes, I surrender. Amen. And then, I believe that the Holy Ghost convicted me more, you know, of pride. That, yes, you are proud. You feel that you don't want to be on the payroll. You feel that people will say that, are you living for people or for me? Ah, it's actually you. You know, and then later, my husband gave me a phone call that, you know, people have heard about your accident. They are very worried. You better come for the prayer meeting for a few minutes. Oh, no problem. So I went, and as soon as I entered, you know, Bishop Saki and all this, I said to her, oh, you, you shouldn't have died or something. 
It all became very sad. I started weeping again. But I believe that that was God's call for my life. And it was hard. I thought about the future. I thought about all the things my boss had said. I thought about all the things I've heard. I thought about all the counseling I've done. Things that have happened to people. And I thought about all the what-ifs. And then I realized that the life of a believer is by faith. That's why the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Faith is God's way of life. Hallelujah. And it's God's blueprint for our lives. That we have to live by faith. You cannot, the what-ifs are a lot. Even when you go on the what-if road, you won't drive. When you go on the what-if road, you won't fly. When you go on the what-if road, you may even not have a child. Because what-ifs can happen. Anything can happen as you go along. But to learn to trust in God, I think that it's the key. Amen. So this was hard. It was a hard thing to do, but it was even harder to disobey. Amen. And since I decided to come all out, I would say that I don't have any regrets. Amen. And it doesn't even matter anymore what people say. Just before we came to Europe, we had a breakfast meeting. And apparently there was a journalist in the meeting. But I didn't know he was taking notes. So I just preached and then spoke about this story. I spoke about this, that God said, I'm proud. And I said, Lord, I'm not proud and all that. Then my, my assistant calls me a few days after and says, oh, we are in the newspaper. Really? What about? The man has gone to take a picture of the Kodesh. Brought it. Our pastor's chopping money or something. And then in the write-up, he puts it that Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills, speaking at the Golden Tulip Hotel, said that now she doesn't care whether her clothes are from the church, her shoes are totally out of context. Totally. And then I did I didn't even have a copy. So my assistant brought me the copy and some other pastors and they were saying that look and the guy has joined my ministry. So he comes to my ministry. Yeah. So they were saying that look, when is he next coming for the meeting? I will face him. And I was surprised at their energy because honestly I didn't care at all. Two hoots. It didn't matter to me at all. Then I knew that I'd come of age. Amen. And that the very thing I, I was so afraid of, and that hurts me so much. Now it didn't matter anymore. So when he wrote that, I said, hey, so this thing has come to pass. And somebody is writing things that I didn't say at all. He has put it in another context, brought the picture of the church, said so that uh, he, he interviewed another pastor who pleaded anonymity, said that whatever, I mean the whole thing. You know, but up to now, I've not called him. I've not spoken to him. I don't care. If he comes to a ministry meeting, he should be there and he should flow. That's it. And so I see that God is healing me of my pride. Little by little. Amen. But sometimes we are accused falsely or we go through rejection. I always say that if you need a place to be offended, 
come into the ministry. Opportunities abound. Career progression more. You will progress more in the ministry and in the things of God. But it also gives you the opportunity to be more like Jesus. Amen. And there are many benefits to suffering. There are many benefits that come our way. The Bible says that our light affliction worketh for us an eternal weight of glory. So when you go through affliction, it is a light affliction from God's perspective. And God needs something to work with. So he says that your light affliction works for you an eternal weight of glory. It means that when you don't have any light affliction, no eternal weight of glory is worked out for you. Hallelujah. And the glory is a weight. It's so heavy. It's so much of a blessing that it is an eternal weight. And it's not only for now. It is for eternity. But your affliction is just a light one. And it's only temporal. So when it gets hard, look at the benefits of the suffering that you are going through. Hallelujah. Jesus endured shame. Peter and James, they were whipped. Grown-up men. They were whipped for preaching. Stephen was stoned. Paul was beaten. 40 times minus one. How come you don't want to suffer at all? For anything you believe? You don't want to suffer for your faith? When you are at work, you are unpopular. You can't take it. When you are at work, they treat you as if you are queer. You can't take it. You want to be with the crowd. But there's a price to be paid. Amen. And there's a hard road to walk on in order to please God. So we suffer so that we will depend on God. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. If you haven't suffered yet, you suffer in the future sometime. Life cannot be one color. Life is many colors, just like the rainbow. Reading from verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we will not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. Amen. He says, we will not have you ignorant brethren of the affliction or the trouble that came to us in Asia. Amen. Amen. This is Paul speaking. He says, I will not have you ignorant of what I have been through. I will not have you ignorant of the hardness or some of the hard places that we have had to walk. I will not, have you, I will not hide it from you. I will not behave as if life is rosy. Life is always one picture. You are never challenged. Your life is so perfect. Everything is too, together. No, I will not have you ignorant of the trouble that came. Trouble is not always something you plan for, but it comes. 
Amen. I will not have you ignorant of the trouble that came unto us in Asia. And he said that we were stretched above measure. Have you been stretched above measure before? Above measure. You see, there's always a measurement for something. And Paul is saying that we were so stretched by the trouble that it was above the measure. Beyond our strength. This is a great apostle Paul. How can you be so straight that now it's even beyond your strength? Above measure, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Hey, an apostle. Can an apostle get to that place where he despairs even of life? But that is God's will. Amen. We were stretched above measure, beyond our strength, that we despaired even of life. We didn't want to live anymore. The Apostle Paul, who said, I'm crucified with Christ, the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave. He is now saying that we were stretched above measure, beyond strength, that we despaired even of life. We didn't feel like living. We lost our zest for life. And then he says that, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves or in our bodies. You came, he came to that point where it's like, you've been sentenced to death. There's nothing you can do about it. It's finished. You see, in the law courts, when you are sentenced to death, before the sentence is given, a lot of things can be said for you. A lot of submissions can be made. But when the sentencing is done, that's it. Amen. Many years ago, Reverend Saki and I tried to defend a murderer because we were working with Bishop's father and this man had gone to his farm and somebody else had come and there had been some tussle of some sort and the person had tried to hit him and he had used his cutlass to slash the person in the middle like that and the pictures were shown in court all the things had gushed out and our defense was that our client had done it in self-defense And therefore, he was not guilty of murder. So we started with our boss, who was Bishop's father, and then he had to travel. So two fresh lawyers, we had to continue the case and finish it. And they had to explain, okay, what is self-defense? Self-defense is that somebody's attacking you, and because of the imminent fear, you also do something to either immobilize the person or... But the law says that When you are doing something in self-defense, you should just do it up to the measure where the person cannot hurt you. But our clients had gone beyond to slash the stomach. After the person has fallen down and cannot run after you, you are supposed to stop there. But when you go beyond and you slash the stomach, now human wickedness has taken over and you must pay for it. That's the... And we said that, no, the fear was so great that our client had been overwhelmed. And therefore, in throwing his hand, you know, because of the fear, he went maybe too far, but that was not his intention. You see, intention is different. Intention in a crime is very important. So we're trying to establish that the main fear, the intention was not there. Therefore, he was not guilty of murder. So the last submission went to the court. I was shaking with trepidation. I'm not very good at litigation. 
And so Reverend Saki, I said, you do the submissions. Reverend Saki got up in his wig and his, and it was quite dramatic, you know. He took a piece of paper, young lawyers. I'm always laughing at him about. He took a piece of paper and said, we are here for the accused person and we want you, the jurors, to know that there was no witness when this thing happened. The only witness is the person who is alive. The other man is deceased. And therefore, not to take the testimony of our client is tantamount to that he took paper, started to tear it. And as I said, I said, yes, we will win. <laughs> we cannot lose. The way he's showing the drama, that we will win this case. So the jury men retired, came back to give their verdicts. So members of the jury, have you reached the verdict? Yes, Your Honor. What is your verdict? Oh, we find the man guilty. After all the tearing of the paper, the submissions, the things, at that time we could speak. But when the sentence of death came, we couldn't say anything. And the procedure for even sentencing the person to death in Ghana is still under the old law, the Gold Coast, prehistoric England type of... So the judge retires, comes back with a red cloth on his head. The hangman comes like old times. And he reads the words out. Oh, you sinner, you shall roast in hell. You shall this and that. Yeah. That was my first experience. Oh, ye, oh, ye, ye shall roast in hell. Damn be thy soul. And those things. That's how it is. But after the sentencing and all these things, there was nothing we could do about it. And up to today, when we go and preach in the prisons, I sometimes wonder, is this man still here? I remember his name. He was a twin. You know? Is he still here? Because we tried to appeal, but so many things. And then he didn't have money to, so my boss said, you know, <laughs> we can't help him. Although it's the state against whatever. But the man sold his telly to pay for the first whatever. Sold it, but in the end, he was a pauper, a man of straw. So they just set him aside. But because of a sentence of death, beyond that, we couldn't help him. And Paul is saying here that we receive the sentence of death in ourselves. When you get to that place where everything that you know to do has been done and there's nothing you can do again. That's where he had gotten to. And he said we receive the sentence of death in ourselves. Why? So that we will not trust in ourselves. So daughter, when it gets hard, don't worry. It is part of the journey to bring you to that place where you don't trust in yourself anymore. But you trust in the living God. Because you used to trust in your principles. You used to trust in do this and this will happen. You thought that life was a straightforward equation, but it's not. And sometimes it gets hard. Amen. We suffer so that we can fulfill God's purpose and prophecy. Because the Bible says, Yea, and all they that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall enjoy persecution. Yea, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Hallelujah. 
all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Romans chapter 8. It's good to teach the word of God. Amen. So, suffering is also part of God's call. God's prophetic mission for you is that, yea, all that shall live godly, not ungodly, but godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution. Amen. Romans 8 verse 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. No pain, no gain. So one reason also that it gets hard is so that you will reign with him. You want to be an heir. You want to inherit all the things. You can't inherit only good things. You have to inherit the flock as well. Amen. Ask Prince Charles. Ask the queen. Ask Tony Blair. You cannot inherit one part and not inherit the other. Especially the royalty or the royal family. You cannot say, I'm a member of the royal family, but when we are being, you know, taking up, I don't want to be a, then I'm not a part. But when it's nice things and when I don't have to pay tax for things and when I just have a ship to myself to go somewhere, and then that's when I'm a part of a royal family. But when it comes to my being faced about Camilla Parker Bowles and I'm not part of a royal family. The Bible says if we are heirs, then we are heirs also of suffering, that we may reign also with him. Amen. It, suffering makes us conform to the image of Christ. But I want to move quickly to what our attitude should be as Christians when we suffer. First Peter chapter 4, and I'll be closing soon. First Peter chapter 4. Are we there? Read it from verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for testing. As though some strange thing were happening to you. Daughter, when it gets hard, your first attitude is do not think that something strange is happening to you. Do not think that what you are going through is out of the blue. You do not think that what you are going through is only unique to you. It says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, as if something out of the world is happening to you. But everybody, everywhere, all the brethren are suffering. Amen. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. When it's hard, you must rejoice. Lady Pastor, how can I do that? When it's hard, you must rejoice. When the apostles were beaten, they came rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for him. But the Christians of today, we don't have that. After you've been whipped, you say, come, let's rain curses on them. Come, let's agree that it shall never be well with them. Let the angel of the Lord chase them. That's what you would say. But these people were rejoicing, counting it worthy to suffer shame. Not that what was done to them was right, but they saw something to thank God for in it. And that was that even 
by going through this, we are able to identify with you, God. And that's something. Your identity is rubbing off on us. And because of you, we are going through all this. You know, the Bible says, in everything give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything. Amen. You may not give thanks for everything, oh God. Thank you for a filled harvest. Thank you for my car that had an accident. No. But you say, Lord, thank you that even in the midst of the accident, your hand is still on me. Thank you that even in the midst of contrary situations, your plan for me remains the same. Thank you that you know the plans that you have for me. That they are plans of prosperity and not of disaster. To give me a future and to give me a hope. Thank you. So Paul says, So that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exhortation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Hey. If you are reviled for the sake of God, you are blessed. But many of us, when we say we are blessed, we don't mean that. There are many forms of blessing. Or God's blessing entails many things. Money, prosperity, good health. But it's saying that when you suffer also, you are blessed. Because the glory of God rests on you. If you knew that, when you saw suffering, you would applaud. If you believed that, when you saw suffering, you would celebrate it. But because you don't believe that suffering brings the glory of God to rest on you. That's why when it comes, say, hey, out of here. I don't want to see you. But our attitude is to feel blessed. Not because of what is happening, but because the glory of God comes to rest on us when it's hard. And it says that the spirit of glory and the spirit of God, two things, they rest on you. When it's hard, lift up your hands and say, thank you that your glory rests on me. Thank you that the spirit of God rests on me. Because of this issue, I give you thanks. Hallelujah. It is a gateway to blessing. Many of us, we feel that blessing is other things and other ways. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer. We have read down that one. Verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. Many times we feel that the Bible is saying, glorify God for what is happening. But he's saying that if you suffer as a Christian, in that name, in the name of Jesus, the fact that you are suffering in God's name, glorify God in that name. Hallelujah. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? It is better that you are judged here. If you suffer for something that you shouldn't do in a certain way, and God is using that to correct you, it's better that your judgment comes now than later. Because you have an opportunity to change, to amend, to to turn things around a bit. And so when you suffer for that, judgment starts from the house of God. And saying that, if even we the elect are suffering like that. How much more the ones who don't know God? It will not be easy for them. That's what the Bible is saying. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? 
God makes you go through a hard place so that he will save you quickly. So that you won't end up in a certain place that could even lead to eternal damnation. So when it's hard, think about all these things. And think about God's purpose. Verse 19, therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Why does the Bible say that? Because when you suffer, your soul goes through all sorts of ramifications. Your soul is your emotions. Your soul is your mind. Your soul is your will. Your emotions go up and down, topsy-turvy, roundabout. You don't know what to do. He says that when you are going through that, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust the keeping of their souls to their creator. When it's hard, entrust your soul, your reactions, your emotional outbursts, your thinking processes, the way you are seeing the thing, your will, your other, entrust it to the creator. Why? Because when you are going through a hard time, these particular areas can get damaged. These particular areas can get destroyed. So let those who suffer according to the will of God and trust the keeping of their souls to the creator, the faithful creator in doing what is right. Amen. Amen. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe. 1 Peter or 2 Peter, one of them. Chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, not to look at, but for you to follow in his footsteps. <laughs> Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and being reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but entrusted himself to he who judges righteously. Amen. Amen. When it's hard, this is also another attitude to have. Jesus did not do anything. There was no deceit in his mouth. There was no guile in him. And yet, he suffered. Even you, you have committed many sins. So when you suffer sometimes, we'll take it like that. But the son of God, he never committed any sin. So suffering is not because of your sins. Amen. Often, it is not because of something you've done wrong. Sometimes it is, but often it isn't. It is just because it's God's purpose. And God wants to glorify himself through that. And why? I don't know why. Hallelujah. He says, being reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, most of us, when we are suffering, that's when the terrible words come out of our mouths. When we are suffering, that's when our temper is this short. When we are suffering, that's when we snap at everybody. He said, when he suffered, he threatened not. You, I'll get you. you see what I'll do to you. No, nothing like that. He threatened not, but committed himself. When it gets hard, commit him, yourself to him. Who judges righteously. Hallelujah. You cannot fight your own battle. The battles are a lot. And the battles are high tech with different ramifications and different ways. So you need somebody 
who is an experienced warrior to fight on your behalf. And the Lord says that the battle is mine and not yours. For most of us, we've told God, stand aside. The battle is mine and not yours. But actually what God is saying, the battle is mine and not yours. But you are saying, the battle is mine and not yours. May the Lord forgive you. Amen. Amen. So daughter, when it's hard, entrust your soul to a faithful judge. And the Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be still. I can see it in our own lives at the Kodesh, how we were beating. At at Kolegon, on the other side, the cathedral. How we were beating. How blood was shed. How my husband's office was bombed. How he would come to, uh, he would come home like um, somebody who has been accosted by the police or so many policemen, bodyguards, guns, you know. Why? Just because God was using him to build a church in Kolegono. There were times when my safety was not guaranteed in coming to church. So I would come, then at a point I would take a taxi so that, you know, I wouldn't be recognized so easily. You know? And a lot of beatings, breaking of bottles, shedding of blood, pregnant women passing out, so many things. Marines coming to get their officer out of the building. Government issues, mowing down of a wall, and always hearing your husband's name on the news, hearing insults every morning. Then after that, you go and sit in the office, and the headlines is your church. The headlines are your church, and all that. But I didn't know that God was beating us into prosperity. And every time I think about it, I say, God, if that's the case, then when it's hard, help me to remember all these moments so that I'll just be cool, so that your spirit and your glory will rest upon me. You know, when the Adelaide Chapel was being dedicated, Bishop Blake from California was there with about 50 or so Americans in the service. And other pastors came up and said, oh... We want to commend Lighthouse and Bishop Eward Mills for all the great things they've done and how God has used them and nice speeches. Then it was Bishop's turn to speak. Oh, I thank you for all your kind words. I'm a visionary. God has led me. We are blessed. The church members are blessed. All the things you've said. But I want you to know that it's beatings and tears and pain that drove us here. Not visions and strategies and seeing into the future. And, and Bishop said it there that most of you have come on the stage to pay me tribute that, oh, it's so great. Look at the edifice God has built. I want you to know that it's through affliction that we came here. We did not want to move from Kolegono. And I never thought that we would even need to move. When we went to Kolegono, the joy with which we went you could see that we thought that this was our final resting place and that there was nothing greater that God could do. You know, that what else would God do? We are so happy here. This is where, this must be God's mind. But on the day that we were attacked and beaten, that's the day we had a pastor's meeting. And Bishop said, does anybody know of any property that's available 
because we fought. We have tried to be here. We've gone to court. The case has been withdrawn. The dossier has been lost. So many things. So even though we don't want it, we have to move out of here. Can anybody say, if they know, and the one pastor lifted his hand, I know a place where it's very expensive. I don't know whether we can afford it, but I can go and show you. So off we went to Kaneshi. And then we saw the place, met the Lebanese man. He said, I'm not going to take installments. Money on the right, house on the left, exchange. <laughs> and we didn't even know how God was going to do it. It's not that we, we sat and said, oh, now, you know, we've actually outgrown this place and we need to move and we've become very international. We need to change our environment. And maybe God thought all those things, but we did not. Frankly, it was the beatings. It was the tears. It was the hard times that brought us to that place. And even when people ask me, what happened? All this that I've said is just a tip of the iceberg. I can't say much. I cannot convey the emotions. You know, when people say, oh, so you went through a lot. What did you go through? A lot. I don't know how else to describe it. I just know that I had my own private moments of weeping of not seeing God's hand, of not knowing what was going on, of weeping. And then when my husband comes, I wipe my tears. I say, how was it? Oh, so, because I feel that the person is already laboring under what is happening at church. Am I also now going to add my few tears? (laughs) Amen. But I see that through much tribulation, God leads you. And as he has led us to the Kodesh, because we know that it's not us, it's been a very humbling experience. So when people come there, oh, ah, yeah, we are grateful, but because of the beatings, we have been beaten into submission and into humility, and you can't give the glory to God. So that when it's hard, it's still God's purpose for you. When it's hard, he will bring you through. When it's hard, it's still God's will, and he will give you the strength to walk through the hard places. Stand to your feet, please. We are closing. We are praying our final prayer. Let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator for his keeping. Amen. You want to pray? That when you suffer according to the will of God, you will know it. You will know the different kinds of suffering. And therefore, you will know how to embrace when things get, embrace whatever comes when things get hard. And you pray that you have the right attitude. The will of God is that when you go through a hard place, you rejoice. You, when you go through a hard place, you, you recognize that the spirit of glory and the spirit of God will rest upon you. When you go through a hard place, you get to that place where when you are reviled, you revile not. When you suffer, you threaten not. But you commit yourself into the hands of a faithful creator. You want to say, Lord, help me to know when I suffer according to your will. And when I do, give me the right attitude. And may your grace bring me through. His grace is sufficient for us. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Lead me, Lord. I will go. You have called. Ah!
done. Even when I suffer according to the will of God, give me the grace to embrace, to recognize first of all, and to embrace your will, even in the hard places. Show me what to do when I get to the hard place. Give me the right attitude when I get to the hard place. May I not fight your will when I get into the hard place. Cause me to endure when I'm in that hard place. For the Bible says you have need of patience. So that after you have done the will of God, you may inherit the promises. Oh, Kabala Bodo Bashande, Mama Mama Kode Mala Mama. Oh, Kebala Babande, Mama Mama. Pray for the days ahead. Pray for the things we don't know. You will survive. You will prevail. You will overcome. Because a greater one is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He will put you over. He will make you a success. He will see you through. The greater one. Pray that you will not suffer as an evildoer. Pray that you will not suffer as a busybody. Pray that you will not suffer out of God's will. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, may for we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we may not trust in ourselves but in the living God Oh, may God bring you to the place of trust may God bring you to the place of rest may he teach you to trust in him rest in the Lord and wait patiently wait patiently for him Oh, Kabala Mondele Mama, Mayondele Babande Nekayande, Nesto Balabe Koyende Mama, Lobebe Kodo Master Mama. We pray for the days unseen. We pray for the days ahead. Oh, you will put us over. You will cause us to overcome. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Oh, we give you thanks in everything. In everything, in everything, we give you thanks. In everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. We give you thanks in everything. Okay, mama, mama. Let those that suffer according to the will of God commit their souls for keeping with the faithful creator. Oh, keep our souls. Preserve our souls when we go through hard times. May we not be destroyed. May our souls not lead us to decay and to damnation. Have mercy. Oh, Mekalaya.
Thank you for divine strength, the spirit of glory, and the spirit of God. May it rest upon us. Anytime we go to a hard place, may the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest upon us. May we not fear your will. May we not fear your will. Let those that suffer according to the will of God, according to the will of God, may go to my
Today, to find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243 
You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.